0: Today we're going to uh, continue our study in the book of James. We'll be in chapter 2. We're going to finish out chapter 2, and we're going to look at one of the most controversial passages, but it won't be for us, okay? In verse 16, these people that say they have faith respond specifically addressing the need with a series of commands, as actually a command, which literally dismiss the believer who is in obvious need. If you look at that verse, he says, Go in peace with my blessing. They need the blessing. Keep warm. They see they don't have enough clothing. It's not pointed out to them. They see that. Keep warm. Feed yourselves. They see they need food. You see that? He didn't have to have that pointed out to him. But does not give them anything. And he says, go on. Feed yourself. Clothe yourself. So the question is asked, what good is that kind of faith? Well, that's human faith. That is man's faith. That's a faith that that allows him to dismiss the needs of others. Remember, this is not about charity. It's about faith being demonstrated through charity. If faith is not demonstrated when God presents a need, then what good is your faith, is the question. Now, this illustration was extremely relevant to the Jews. Because remember that they had been suffering under persecution. They had been driven out of their homes. That a lot of them did not have the basic necessities of life. They were constantly on the run and they most likely had somebody in their presence at the tabernacle on a weekly or even daily basis that was in this condition. So they walked past them or walked by them, or maybe, you know, those who are of genuine faith would have said, what can we do to help you? We're suffering too, but we'll be happy to give you what we have. We'll be happy to help you. So in this case, The evidence of true faith would have been compassion and charity. Not the works alone, but the faith that allows the character of Christ to be expressed. The will of God is done by and through faith. The illustration here is that true faith would have motivated the believer to respond as Christ would have. When the word works is used, we often think of our doing. But the life we live as believers in the body, we live by faith. Remember Galatians 2.20? We live in the same way that Jesus lived, by faith, trusting by faith in his life that will express itself through us. Now, I know that Jesus didn't walk around every time he encountered somebody that either needed healing or needed provision or whatever. He didn't say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this one? No. No. When he walked about, he was constantly being guided by the life within him, his communion with the Father. And he didn't have to think about it. The Father's spirit within him immediately drove him, compelled him to obedience. Not that he resisted it, because he never did. He yielded to it. Now, it's the same picture of obedience, the same picture of faith that's being demonstrated here. Whenever we see someone in need... And compassion wells up in us. And it's true need. Then we can reckon on that. We can immediately know that that's something that God has placed within us. Okay? It's not like they had to sit there and, and figure that one out. Verse 18. But someone may say to you, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without the works, and if you can. And I will show you my faith by my works, that is, by what I do. Now, in verse 18, one actor claims to have faith, but has no evidence of it in his living. Yet, we know that the child of God lives his life by faith. If you're a child of God, there should be an evidence of that in your living. The absence of fruit or works is demonstrating the lack of life. Remember John fifteen five right? I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, what does he do? He bears much fruit. Now, it's not might bear much fruit. It's not could bear much fruit. It is bears much fruit. That is the sign of the life of the branch. If the branch is not bearing fruit, you got to question the life. Right? For otherwise, apart from me, that is, cut off from vital union with me, what can you do? Nothing. That's exactly right. What kind of good is that faith? If we are in the vine, we are there by true faith. And we will behave as branches and bear fruit. That is, the life of the vine being expressed through the branch. It is the work of the Spirit expressing itself through your union with him, producing fruit that you display as an evidence of his life. So now James is illustrating the end of the verse. Apart from that vital union, you can do nothing. You claim to have or to possess the faith of salvation. But are you bearing fruit? Fruit is a sign of life. So I challenge you, he says, I challenge you to convince me of your faith apart from works, and I will show you the fruit of my faith. That's basically what's saying there. I challenge you to show me the fruit of the faith that you say you have. Now what's going on here is this individual has not been showing any fruit. And so this, this scenario that he brings up, he says, apart from from his connection with the vine, he wouldn't be able to bear fruit. He might be able to bear religious action. He might be able to bear some kind of obedience to the church, but he can't bear fruit. And listen, fruit is, and works are one in the same. Fruit and works are one in the same. Both are done through the work of the, the life of the Spirit of God in you. Both are expressed through you as the vine. When he talks about showing your works, he's literally talking about you bearing fruit. You showing, evidencing that life that is in you. All right? So, you claim to possess the faith of salvation, but are you bearing fruit? This will demonstrate that your faith is false, Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Now, James says he will demonstrate the works of faith, that is, the work of the Spirit. Apart from his Spirit, that is, Christ's Spirit, it is a work of the flesh, which is nothing. So faith without works is basically dead. It shows no evidence of life. Verses 19 and 20. You believe that God is one. You do well to believe that. The demons also believe that, and shudder, and bristle, in awe-filled terror. They have seen his wrath. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish, spiritually shallow person, that faith without good works is useless? Now remember that the audience that he's writing to are converted Jews. So he makes a reference to these Jews that every one of them would be familiar with. That is the Shema, which is a prayer or a creed that they, the Jews repeated over and over again. They said it in the morning and in the evening at Tabernacle, and it was uttered on the deathbed. And this is what they said. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God or one Lord. Now that's why he made that statement. The demons know that too. Don't count yourself as special for knowing that. James declares that apart from believing faith, this means nothing. The demons are moved by this reality, but they have no faith. Knowledge is not enough. Understanding is not enough. There must be revelation that is responded to by faith. Verse 20, he asks the question that should be actually an invitation to salvation or repentance. He says, basically, are you willing to recognize, you foolish, spiritually shallow person, that faith without good works is useless? You can know about him. You can believe in him. But if there is no fruit, there is no life. Now, let me tell you something. That is not a call to judgment. You don't have the discernment to know unless the Spirit of God gives you discernment whether or not somebody has truly accepted Christ as Savior. But you can make a pretty educated guess that if their life doesn't reflect any hint of Him or any remorse for not living according to Him, they don't know Him. And it's... We've often said around here, one of the greatest revelations that you're a child of God is when you're grieved by sin. If you're grieved by sin, guess what? That's the work of the Spirit of God in you, and because sin doesn't suit you. But it's not enough for us just to try to coast through life unto salvation one day. Why is it not enough for us? It doesn't mean that God is keeping a tally. It means that we're missing life. It means that we're not living in all that God has given us to live in. And what James is trying to do, as he's speaking to this audience, is he's got people out there who had been raised in the Jewish community, who lived on works, symbolism basically over substance, who lived in a dry faith without faith. They had gone through all of the rituals and checked all the boxes, and that was the whole of religion for them. And they had begun to drift into that in their Christianity. They go through the rituals. They go through the motions. They sing the songs. They they learn the passages or, or learn by rote whatever the Christian truth is. And then they go out there and live like they've always lived. That's not faith. That's not living by faith. So if you're not living, if there is not something dynamic about the way you live that is compelling you to go further and forward in truth, that is giving you a desire to know the Word of God to a greater depth, to know Him to a greater depth. If you're just satisfied with attending church occasionally and reading a a devotional every now and then, you need to check your pulse. You're missing out. You're living like a dead man. So, do you see that there's something missing, he asks? Are you beginning to see your need? You see, you cannot comprehend your need on your own. But if you are a child of God, you are aware because the Spirit of God will make you aware. Do you ever pray that that the Spirit of God will awaken you? You to anything that's inhibiting your relationship with him. Anything that might be blocking your view of him. Distractions. The enemy is the king of them. And here's the thing. Your joy. Your greatest pleasure. Your greatest delight. The thing that brings the most light to your very being, that literally speaks healing to your inward being, to your soul, that sets things in balance and in truth, is the worship of the Lord. It is His Word. It is the the focus upon Him. Now, I know your soul may not be convinced of that, particularly if you've been living on the junk food of this world for so long and just adding a dash of Christianity here and there. That won't work. And if you've split your Christianity in two, and you do your Bible study and you do this, but then you go back to the where the pigs feed, and you've created that duality, you won't find any joy in either one. Listen. If you're a child of God, you can't find joy in this world. You can only find an unending thirst and hunger for something more. If you're a child of God, your completion, your significance, all that you were made to be is in Christ. It's in him. Christians struggle with stuff they don't need to struggle with. In a time of uncertainty, in a time where fear seems to be shrouded over our society, the Christian should be a light of security, a beacon of truth, salt and light, that stands in confidence and says, I know my God. But unfortunately, I hear them among the crowd murmuring, crying out. God, return us to the normal we've enjoyed for so long so we can get on with our living. Well, guess what? That's diminishing. And it isn't normal for the child of God. The choice is plain. Walking according to the flesh, leave your faith inactive. Your faith is inactive when you determine to walk according to the flesh. If there are works at all, they're the fruit of the flesh manifested apart from faith. James two fourteen through twenty describes a dead faith. Now James twenty one through twenty six shifts to a saving faith, providing examples that faith manifests itself in the production of good works. Verse twenty one Was our father Abraham not shown to be justified by works of obedience which expressed his faith when he offered Isaac his son on the altar as a sacrifice to God? He refers to Abraham, who has long been held up to every Jew as the one who believed God and worked out his faith and obedience. You saw this in in Hebrews, pointing to Abraham, a significant figure in the life of the Jew. They knew his life from beginning to end, and they tried to emulate it. But the thing is, what they were trying to duplicate in their own lives was the works of Abraham. And listen, even obedience takes on a whole new tenor when you're just looking for God to tell you what to do. You ever notice that? It's dry. We don't need to spend time begging God to tell us what to do next so that we can be assured of our own victory in life. What we need to do is seat ourselves in the truth of our relationship with him, yield to his spirit, allow the character of Christ to come forward so that we live out obedience naturally. That's what we're made for. And we don't have to spend a lot of time. Listen, there's very few things that you need to go to the word of God to figure out if they're right or wrong, right? How many of you spend every day searching the scriptures for the right and wrong of how you're living? Well, I doubt very many of you. What God puts the emphasis on is the relationship, the union, the abiding, the walking. Why? Because if you're doing that, you will do what you're supposed to do. That's how you live. And obedience is affirmation. And living by faith is affirming and expanding. So he refers to to Abraham and his work of faith in obedience. And James takes these two examples of dynamic faith that present a contract between Abraham, the father of the Jews, and Rahab, a Gentile woman who was a harlot. Their common denominator was a faith that proved itself as genuine by their works. What they believed determined how they behaved. And both behaviors were far from easy. In Abraham's case, God asked him to sacrifice his only son. And the other, a woman was asked to put her own life on the line to save two Hebrew spies. Abraham would have been an example of the best of men to these Jewish readers, with Rahab as an example of the worst. And yet they are both justified by works. Each Example is introduced with a rhetorical question, which invites an affirmative response. Although Abraham would have been the supreme example of faith to any believing Jews, James target audience in James 1.1, uh, Paul clearly presents Abraham as the father of all who believe. So we got two different sides of it. Paul is saying Abraham is the father of justification by faith. Abraham was counted righteous because he was faithful. Because he placed his faith in God. And he trusted God and went forward. James is saying, all that Abraham did proved his faith. Now think about that. Again, we get back to the chicken and egg. Obedience is the fruit of faith. Obedience is always the fruit of faith. So, he says, Paul clearly presents Abraham as the father of all who believe. That's in Romans 4.11. And in Galatians, he declares it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham, Galatians 3, seven. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3.29. Therefore, Father Abraham is the example of genuine faith for both Jews and Gentiles because he let obedience follow his faith. He didn't just hear what God commanded and then go off and ponder it. He did exactly as God commanded him to do. Why? Because here's what he believed. He believed, and you see this in the in the story of his sacrifice of Isaac, he believed his God was bigger than his circumstance. He believed God was greater than all that he would ever be asked to do. He believed that the path of his life was given him by God and would only be completed and tread upon or, or fulfilled by God. He believed that. Now, you see him entering into self-protection here and there, but it draws him back to the truth that God is the one who's in control. God demonstrates it over and over again. Verse 22 and 23. You see that his faith was working together with his works, and as a result of the works, his faith was completed, reaching its maturity when when he expressed his faith through obedience. Now, look at that. It went on to maturity when he expressed his faith in obedience. You want a mature faith? Begin to act upon all that God has put in your heart with faith. As you do that, he affirms the truth in you. He makes it real in you. Now look. He didn't call us all to be preachers, all to be missionaries. He didn't call us all to, to work in, in the mission field. He, but he called every one of us to a relationship where we would respond to his commandments or his desire for us. And you know what? You're in the plan of God. You're on the path of God. You've got nothing to fear from either government or man. Everything that God intends toward you is going to happen. Now the choice is yours as to whether or not you will enter into it through obedience or you will enter into it through fear and trembling. That's your choice. As we enter that path through obedience, we recognize the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the protection of God, the provision of God, but praise God, we recognize the blessing of God. Because what you see in Paul and what you see in the early apostles is that every step in the path of God becomes greater and greater and greater blessing. And even Stephen at the very end, he's just full of joy because he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father all the while being pelted by stones, His exit was glorious. You want a glorious exit? Start walking in the path that you're going to be on whether you like it or not. Start walking on the path of God and do it by faith in obedience to all that he put in you to express. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and his faith was credited to him by God as righteousness and as conformity to God or his will. And he was called the friend of God. You see relationship written all over that. Through obedience he entered into a a closeness, a friendship with God. Do you think that's possible for you? Well, if you don't, you've been horribly deceived by either your behavior or the enemy's work or both. And somehow you believe that God's withholding himself from you. He's not withholding himself. You're withholding yourself. Notice that Abraham's works of faith were always works of obedience. They were based in an ongoing relationship with God. Abraham was living in obedience, and that obedience demonstrated his faith. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now you, as a believer, are born into righteousness. If we walk by faith, we walk in righteousness. How about that?
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. At 1307 Blanco Woods At the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods Just inside Loop 1604 Also, if you would like to help support this ministry You can send your tax-deductible donation To His Life Ministries P.O. Box 1894 Bernie, Texas 78006